You guys know I'm a big fan of what they're doing at 56 Brave. Well, we have a pick up the six discount code for you to save 10% off today. First, let me tell you about our friends over at 56 Brave. They are worn by Patriots and made by Patriots. Think about this. 56 Brave boldly pledged their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor by signing the Declaration of Independence. Today, it is because of those Patriots and the millions more who followed that we enjoy a country with freedoms unlike any other. 56 Brave is an apparel company that was founded by former U.S. Special Operations soldiers, including my good friend Lowell Coppert. Their mission is to honor the bold patriots of our past, present, and future with a unique apparel line. Their stuff is badass, some of it unlike anything else I've ever seen. So go to 56brave.com, use the code the 6 and you're going to save 10% off just like that. 56brave.com, pick up the 6, spell it all out as a promo code, and save some money today. Their stuff is awesome. On August 3rd, 2014, Jerry Gass laid down his life while serving our nation. He was built to be in the Army, and that showed by his actions on combat deployments as a Special Forces sniper and medic. Today, we get to know Jerry in the words of his wife, Nancy, a Gold Star spouse. Nancy says she hit rock bottom after Jerry died. But an organization found her and picked up her six, and now she's paying it forward through her own outreach efforts to families who have sacrificed like hers. Nancy Gass, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? I am doing great on this uh, clear Monday uh, where I'm at. Uh, sky is blue, sun is out. And uh, we're getting our week started. Just grateful to, to have you join us uh, to have this important conversation. It will be a heavy and powerful conversation today. Uh, but got connected to you through a good friend named Brad Borders. And I always tell this story that Brad's been on the show a few times. He's done incredible work as a chaplain in the Army. Uh, incredible work with Purple Heart Homes. Uh, and now he's got his own radio show and podcast. And I said, hey, Brad, uh, just ticked over the one year mark, lining up guests to sort of kick off the first week of our second year. He said, you got to have Nancy on. Got to have Nancy on the show. I said, hey, brother. Absolutely. So thank you. <laughs> he is so sweet. He is so kind and he's done so much for me and the kids. So, yeah, yeah he's a very special guy. So you run his, his wife, too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes, you're 100 percent right about that. You were on his radio program like a week ago, I think. Yep. Yeah. A couple weeks ago. Something That's like awesome. that. That's awesome. Uh, Nancy uh, has been asked uh, on behalf of our nation to do the hardest thing that a spouse can do, and that's to send their loved one off to combat and to have that person not return. Uh, lost her husband in combat in 2014. His name was Jerry Gass, mountain of a man. You're going to tell us all about him. We're going to get to know him, right? Before we get to know him, let, let's just take a few minutes and just talk about sort of that, that fateful day and 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 just the weight of which having to receive that news. I know it never gets easy. Again, we take we don't take this for granted, right? What it takes to to share that story and to and to share about that, but have being have been asked to be in that sort of elusive uh, fraternity uh, of folks. Uh, it, it is never easy. We're eternally grateful. Uh, so I want to get to know him a little bit. But before we do that, just when you had to receive that news that moment in time, um, the hardest day of your life. 
So it was a Saturday night and they woke me up to tell me. So I had talked to him that morning and it was a rainy day and the kids were babies. They had just turned one and two. And so I was like really depressed all day missing him. And I felt kind of sorry for myself that I was having to be without him. And I had no idea how lucky I was that he was just away and I could email him. And then that night I found out I would never be able to have contact with him again. So um, I wish I could go back and appreciate how lucky I was when I had him and he was just across the world. But um, I talked to him that morning and he said that he was going to be not able to Skype for a few days. So I knew from, you know, the way he would say it, that he was going to be on a two or three day op. Mm -hmm. And so um, when I didn't hear from him, not to worry, but it would be a few days. And then that night, um, I got the knock at my door and I was asleep. And so when I heard it, I thought, you know, like in my haze, like that I, someone was robbing us. So I got scared and I didn't answer the door. And then I went to the nursery so I could see out the window out um, at the driveway. And I saw the car and it pulled out of my driveway and went away. So I was like, okay, well, that's weird. Um, But we live near the end of a cul-de-sac. And so they went towards the end of the cul-de-sac and they didn't come back. And so I could see out the window that the car didn't leave our neighborhood. And so I knew something was not right, but you know, you just never think it's going to be that. And so I just waited. And then finally I was like, I don't know what to do. So I went and I opened the door and I walked out in the driveway where I could see to the end of the cul-de-sac and I could see the car sitting there and that it had government plates. Mm -hmm. And so um, when they saw me, they pulled forward back into the driveway and they said, can we come in? We have to tell you something. And I didn't say anything, but I just walked in and they said, you know, we want you to sit down. And they said, we have something we need to read you. And the kids were still asleep. And they said, the secretary of the army regrets to inform you that your husband, Gerard David Gass Jr. was transported, was found to be unconscious, transported to the Jalalabad Airfield Hospital and pronounced dead. And that was all they could tell me. And that I think was one of the hardest things. And then they said, you know, he he was pronounced dead on August 3rd, 2014. And I had like a moment of relief because I was like, okay, you guys are mistaken. It's August 2nd. Something's not right here. He's alive. It's okay. And then, you know, like my head cleared and it was, Mm. it was August 3rd in Afghanistan, but it was still August 2nd, like 10 PM our time. And so it was, a. pretty hard yeah yeah we're going to talk about what happened on that day before that he enlisted in the army in 2009 i mean this guy was born built <laughs> to be in the army tell me about yeah, his journey always, there right i mean he I, i've seen pictures right I feel like i got to know him a little bit and us communicating and just and reading about him looking at pictures i mean this guy was made to be in the army yeah he was a giant and he did not want to be regular army he knew that he wanted to do something special from probably the age of three or four years old um, because his grandfather worked on submarines in the navy and his other grandfather was um 
underwater demolitions in the Navy. So he was during World War II. So he was like a Navy SEAL before they were called Navy SEALs. So he always, you know, wanted to do that. And then when he was 28, he had the chance and to join special forces, um, straight into special forces out of, you know, a regular civilian career at Nationwide Insurance. And so he went for it. And it was his dream. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a bit of a different path to get there then, right? Because he he wasn't, did he do ROTC in college? Tell me a little bit about sort of his journey there. No. So I didn't even know him in college. I didn't meet him until he was in the special forces qualification course. And I was an investigator at Fort Bragg and that's how we met. But um, he was in college and when 9-11 happened, he was playing football and the entire football team, including him, went and said that they were going to drop out of college and join the army. And Whoa. the coach was like, stop. No, yeah. just wait. You know, you have a lot of years, just finish college first. And then if you want to go into the military, you can. And so he finished college and had a great career in football. They won two big South championships while he was there. Garner Webb, um, go yeah. Bulldogs. Yep. yep, exactly. Go running Bulldogs. And so he loved that. And then he got a great job and he had a good career um, making plenty of money and had no reason to join the military, except, you know, he had that in his heart. And so um, in 2005, his cousin was blown up by a suicide bomber in Iraq and a um, 13 year old boy with a vest. And I think that was another thing. So first there was 9-11, right? Then there was his cousin getting blown up, coming home, but having a traumatic brain injury and everything that goes along with what he went through. And so then, you know, in 2008, he had his chance and he went for it and he became a special forces medic and a sniper. Wow. Incredible. I want to read uh, a part of his bio, and then we'll come back and chat a little bit about it, right? And it says, on his first deployment to Afghanistan, Gas was given a valorous award. Uh, he was with his team and Afghan counterparts on Overwatch, securing a key leader engagement when insurgents engaged them from five separate fortified enemy fighting positions. The various enemy positions essentially ended up having Gas and his team pinned down. Gas exposing himself to enemy fire while rounds were impacting inches from his position, engaged two of the enemy positions with tracer fire from his primary weapons system, enabling aerial support to acquire the enemy position and engage them accurately. Gas exposed himself to enemy fire a second time to adjust a guided bomb onto the fortified enemy positions. Gas's actions directly neutralized two of the enemy positions. Not only did his actions save the lives of four other men with him, but also enabled the detachment to focus all fires on the three remaining enemy positions. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've read that and heard that numerous times. It seems to me that the guy was just always ready to pour it out on the battlefield. He was. Yeah. So when he started playing football, when he was young, he got hit in the face and it broke his nose. And it was like, 
I think it was a life-changing moment for him where he realized you can't be afraid of pain. Mm. Um, And I think it was in his freshman year of high school. And so as soon as he kind of like had that moment, he just went full out with everything. He realized that, you know, you can't play afraid, like you have to play hard. And so he played football hard and that's why he was so great at it. And then in the army, he was the same way. And that's why his teammates loved him and they loved operating with him because they knew that they could count on him to go 100% on every op. And he did. So uh, yeah, that's exactly right. All right. Let me read another part here. We'll chat a little bit more. It said during the last four months of his life serving in Afghanistan, Jerry expertly led multiple elements in combat operations into heavily denied enemy territory. He was also responsible for training and mentoring over 600 Afghan commandos and the medical section of the first special operations Kandak SOK gas was involved in over 94 combat operations during this period and was trained as a special forces sniper, a skill set which resulted in 12 confirmed enemies neutralized at distances of out to 1.2 K meters. I mean, I mean, absolutely incredible. You guys hear about the legends of Chris Kyle and these amazing snipers, Jerry, right there. In that club, Gas's leadership, an aggressive attitude during operations directly resulted in the overwhelming success against a fortified enemy, assisting the stability and security throughout the Special Forces Task Force Northeast area of operation. This guy was an incredible warrior uh, for the United States Army and for the United States of America and a huge part of mentoring over 600 Afghan commandos. It's incredibly impressive. Do you mind telling us what happened on the day that we lost him? So they were on an operation where they did a helicopter infiltration into a remote area to regain control of two villages um, that had been overrun by the Taliban. And when they infilled, they came like on, they landed on top of like a mountain. And when they got out, his combat controller got out ahead of him. I know you had mentioned combat controllers yeah. and how amazing they are yeah. and 100%. And so his combat controller got out ahead of him and fell and hit his head on a boulder and got a concussion. And so Jerry grabbed him and um, carried him because he was like out of it. And he carried him down into the valley where he could treat him because he was the senior medic on the operation. And then they got... Um, a medevac chopper in and so he and his team sergeant stayed back for the medevac chopper to come and they got him on and evacuated and then they continued on the op and as they were going to catch up to the rest of the team jerry didn't feel right and so he was like i don't know what's going on but he was just dizzy and not okay and so his team sergeant was like all right let's stop and take a break um he took off his he had like 70 pounds of gear it was like super hot you know in august And, um, you know, he had all of his medical equipment for a three-day operation for a 12-man team in a remote area. So Mm -hmm. he had a ton of stuff on him, took it off, took a break for a few minutes. And he was like, all right, I think I'm okay. Let's continue on. They were going to a high school to occupy a school to use as their base of operations for the mission. And before they got to the school, they crossed a creek. And when they got to the other side, he just collapsed and turned blue. And his team sergeant, you know, did everything he could to try and save him. He was amazing. And he got the junior medic who was ahead to backtrack and they tried to save him. But, um, nothing worked and uh they got a helicopter in to medevac him out and they did cpr for 55 minutes but he never 
regained a heartbeat. Mm. So they said it was a massive heart attack, but he was 33 and he was perfectly healthy. And he was a special forces guy who was just, you know, had done all of his tests and was good to go. So um, the day that he died, he had called me that morning. And on our last conversation, he said the guys were all sick um, because the dining facility had been contaminated. And so I was like, are you sick? And he was like, no, I'm good. But he was that guy who would never want to miss anything. You know, he would have major fear of missing out if something happened and he wasn't there. So, um, I don't know if anyone else stayed back from being sick from the op, but he went on the op and that was it. And Three weeks later, his coworker, Johnny, was having chest pains. And because Jerry died and they said it was a heart attack, Johnny went and got checked out. And they said, dude, you have endocarditis. You can't be here. Like, that's not lethal. It's a heart infection. But you can't be in a combat zone operating with a heart infection. So they sent him back to the United States. He was the first one from the team to come home and talk to me after Jerry died from the team. And he said, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jerry, because I would have ignored my symptoms. And so honestly, I mean, two young, healthy special forces guys on a 12 man team in a remote area of Afghanistan, I think Jerry had a heart infection too. And I think that that's probably what caused it, but there's no way to prove it and it won't bring him back. No, no, you're right. It won't. Um, but that lasting legacy of what that man does in those final moments, one, to remove someone from the battlefield, to physically pick them up, carry them out. And then his sacrifice likely leads to that man still being alive today. Right? Yeah. So and he out. had a child and a wife. And so there was an event where he came with his family and found me at the event. And he said, I just want to thank you because I wouldn't be here if it weren't for your husband. And mm-hmm. my kid has me now mm-hmm. because of Jerry. So, and that's what, you know, I always said he was a big guy. He wasn't the typical special operator. And, uh, you know, and other people said this too, like he's the one that's going to be needed to carry a body one day. And then that was the last thing that he did before he died. Um, and I'm sure it was nothing for him because he was ginormous. So, yeah. yeah. He was awarded uh, the second Bronze Star and the Meritorious Service Medal after his death uh, and literally left it all out there, right? Left his heart on the battlefield, left his body out there, gave, gave of his last breath to pull someone off the battlefield on that day. Uh, it's incredible. Nancy, I, I know... Uh, it was, I know it's really, really hard. And I know it was really, really hard at the beginning. And I think fortunately there have been some blessings that have come along in the last few years to our friends at tunnel to towers. And we're going to talk about what they've done for you and your family, and maybe the purpose that they've added into how you're now helping this organization move forward. Before we talk about that though, how, how hard, I hate asking this, but how hard was it in those, in those moments? And, 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 and where did you end up before you finally found some help? It was a really lonely place. Um, I was a special agent until he died and my career had been my life before I met him and fell in love. And so then I had him and, you know, being a career investigator traveling the world for my job and 
I was very independent and strong before he came along. And I didn't need a man when I met him. I was not looking for a man. I wasn't looking to get married or have Mm -hmm. kids. That just happened. Um, But he was so great and he loved me so hard. He made me need him for the first time. I needed someone and then he was gone. And so I was lost and I didn't want anyone but him. You know, there was friends, there was family, but I just wanted him. And even when he was alive, when like I started to say in the beginning is, you know, like he was my person. And so when I was pregnant and he was deployed and I went into preterm labor, I was like, I need you. Mm-hmm. I need you here now. And he's like, I'm not there. You need to ask someone else to help you. But I wanted him. And, uh, you know, that's not a great thing, but it was what it was. And so I just struggled after the kids were both still in diapers when he died. And all of a sudden, as a single parent, I couldn't do my job the way I had done before. And so everything was just shattered. And uh, I, I was, I didn't know any other young widows. So despite having been at Fort Bragg, which is a giant military mm-hmm. reservation that sustained way too many casualties in this war, um, I didn't know any of them. And I left right away because I didn't want to be there when the team came home without him. I didn't want to go to Walmart and the restaurants and all the places that we had gone together that we were supposed to go again when he got home and have to face those places without him knowing I'd never get to go there with him again. So I left and I was so alone. And I did a thousand good things to try, you know, with church and with volunteering and tons of stuff. I started a nonprofit, so many great things to try and rebuild my life and find my purpose and um, positive things. But I was just so alone. I ended up like literally dying of a broken heart. I didn't have enough blood in my body. And I ended up having to go into the cancer treatment center uh, while the kids were in school to get infusions because I was literally dying. So, wow. I'm just take a minute, right? Like it, it's incredible. The, um, the sacrifice you've had to make. Um, so tunnels, the tunnel, the tower comes along at some point in your journey and seeks you out, find, yeah. finds you, right? How does that happen? So four years later, I had gone through the process at the cancer treatment center. I'd got my infusions. My blood was up again. Um, and I had moved me and the kids to an apartment in Charlotte. And I started taking a class, a few classes, actually. And I needed to get Facebook, which I'd never had because I was an investigator. So I had no digital footprint. You could not find mm. me. And uh, for the class, I needed Facebook. So I went ahead and got it. I said, you know, the kids are only four and five. I don't know when I'm going to get back to my career. Let's just go ahead and do this thing. And so as soon as I was on social media, I got a message from Tunnel to Towers saying, you know, we're Tunnel to Towers and we want to build you a mortgage-free home in honor of your husband, Jerry. And I was like, are you kidding me? I can't even like who? who are you? Mm -hmm. Like, what? Um, You can imagine, you know, it was just uh, very shocking. And uh, it started a journey of me having hope again, that good things can come after traumatic loss. And that just because the worst thing happens doesn't mean there's not still more to live for. 
And that's been kind of my message and um, my place ever since has been helping everyone around me realize like, don't ever give up because you never know what tomorrow might bring. And for us, it brought us a mortgage free home, a family in New York, um, so much connection, connection to other young widows for the first time. And that has been one of the best parts of my Tunnel to Towers journey has been connecting with all of the other Gold Star spouses with young children, where I could say me too, and they Mm -hmm. could say the same thing. And it just helped so much to feel like there was someone that understood how hard it was day in and day out raising babies without your husband and trying to teach them about their father, knowing that they're never going to know him themselves firsthand. How did, how did they find you? I mean, did they have a database of folks that they were trying to get in contact with to help and I mean, they have a file on you. Like you're an investigator. Like they, must I, have know, homework, I, know. Right? I was shocked. I was like, how did you find me? Like, why me? There's so many other people out there. And um, they had just started. They were just starting the program. It was brand new. So they didn't have anyone else in it yet. There was nothing in writing about it. And they said, we have the army would not give us your information for privacy reasons. And we didn't know we were just searching through media reports through lists from like the fallen website of the folks who have died, the service members who've died in the line of action in the line of duty um, and the global war on terror. And so they were just going through and finding who they could. And lo and behold, they found me. That's, that's pretty incredible. Um, and that takes, I think, a little orchestration uh, from a higher power to ensure 100%. that those things happen, right? Like it's not by coincidence. Coincidence is God taking action and choosing to remain anonymous about the results, right? 100%. There is nothing coincidental about this because I will tell you, Brian, I was probably the loneliest young widow in the world. I yeah. was the most isolated. I was the the most unlikely to ask for help or ever let anyone know that I was not okay in my heart, in my head. Um, And I was just, but I was persevering. I was not going to give up, but I was not in a great space. And um, now because of that, I'm able to help and connect with our other recipients and share with them and make sure that they don't stay in a dark place and that they, if they're in a dark place, that they feel like they have someone they can say, Hey, I'm not okay today. You know, can you talk? Yeah. You mentioned this family in New York. I want to know more about that. You also have an incredible event coming up in early May, May 1st. And here we are in early March. So a few months out from this incredible uh, stair climb that you're going to do in the Charlotte area. So we're going to talk about that, how folks can find out about it, can help the cause, can even go participate if they're within driving distance. But tell me about this family. You said you said you gained a family in New York. Who is that? So Tunnel to Towers is a family-run foundation in honor of Stephen Siller, a firefighter and father of five young children when he died in the Twin Towers on September 11th. Um, And he was one of seven children. And after he died, his six remaining siblings started the foundation in his honor. And um, they have done so much in the last 20 years to help catastrophically injured veterans, um, 
gold star families now, families of fallen first responders. They've done disaster relief with Hurricane Sandy, with the hurricanes mm-hmm. we had recently. So much good around the country, but they're well, in one, New York. Yeah. One of the things that I just love about that organization is, you know, it starts in this you know, post 9-11 world that we're living in as a way to honor and help those first responders, right, that ran into those towers on that day. But I think they've done an incredible job of locking shields with the global war on terror families who are who are a part of, right, who are impacted because of that day, yes. right? That That's a huge impact. They've done an incredible job, this ability to fundraise and build these mortgage-free homes for families who have lost loved ones in combat is amazing. With that, one of their main spokesmen, they've got a few guys, Connor McGregor, you've heard do ads, Mark Wahlberg, you've probably seen or heard doing a few yeah. ads. I know you got to meet Mark throughout this process. So what was that experience like? Oh, Mark is so great. He is the kindest person. And he flew across the country to spend just a bit of time with us. Hmm. And uh, you could imagine with everything he's always had going on, he was exhausted. But he came, you know, from California to spend a little bit of time with us to show us that he really cared, you know, that he his heart was with us. And it wasn't, you know, he really genuinely cared. And so does everyone that's involved with Tunnel to Towers. And that's part of the reason it's so special. And there's so many miracles that come out of this foundation because everybody's in it because their heart is really in it. And everyone has a story. So, yeah. Yeah. I got to think, you know, along the way, remember guys, Wahlberg plays Marcus Luttrell in Lone Survivor. And I got to think that experience really changed him. Uh, one, just depicting that character. But then also, I, I know he spent a lot of time with Marcus, right? Because Marcus was a big part of uh, creating that movie uh, with Peter Berg. And obviously, we, we talk about that film quite a bit here on Pick Up a Six podcast because we've had folks connected to it, right? The helicopter pilot who picked Latrell up has been on the show. Mike Murphy's dad has been on the show as well. So I got to think that experience probably changed him a little bit uh, and and got him to lean in more for families doing amazing work there. So you guys have a big event coming up connected to Tunnel to Towers, but it's in your local area yes. in Charlotte. It's coming up here in a few months. So tell us a little bit about what's going on. First, tell us what you're doing. Okay, so it's a stair climb to honor our 9-11 heroes. So um, the stairs they climbed in the Twin Towers, we climbed tall buildings all over the country to honor and remember them. Uh, In 9-11, you know, there were 343 FDNY firefighters that went into those buildings that did not come out alive. And uh, we climb in honor of them with their badges. You know, it has their name and their picture on a badge. You get to pick a badge and climb in honor of a specific FDNY firefighter. Um, But obviously, we're also honoring all of the 9-11 victims and all of the service members that have gone forward um, in the last 20 years since then and lost life or limb in service to our country and in service to freedom. Mm -hmm. And it's a very special special, meaningful event. Um, The community, it's so empowering and powerful and special to be connected with everyone else doing something that um, brings honor to all of our nation's heroes. When is your event? Where is it? And how can folks either go do it with you or help give to the cause and, and make a donation? 
So everyone should do it with me. Even if they're far away, they can fly in. No problem. Charlotte's a great airport. And uh, my team name is the Carolina Do Good Mafia. So Home Depot is one of our corporate sponsors. And Home Depot years ago nicknamed Tunnel to Towers, the Do Good Mafia of New York, because, you know, we go in and get the job done Mm -hmm. and 100%. So now we've got the Carolina Do Good Mafia, but um, we've already raised $20,000 here at the Charlotte Tower Climb, and we're not even at the climb yet. So um, we're doing great things. Museum Tower is where we'll be. It's 43 floors, which is nothing. And it's um, super special. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Guys, we're going to put the link uh, to the event page, to the registration page in the show notes on our show page here as well. So you can get to be a part of that. Nancy was putting the EH on me, the emotional headlock the other day. So you got to be able to come. You're only a couple hours away. Get your family come over. So we're taking a look at it. See if we can. I heard about this organization called F3. And I was like, you guys have got to be there. We absolutely will. No question. We're going to put the heat on all those guys as well. We've done a few local 9-11 9-11 stair climbs on 9-11 here locally. They are powerful moments and it's fitting in the month of May, you know, as we then take time to reflect for Memorial Day at the end of that month that you kick the month off with your event there. So, I mean, what are you, are you training now? Are you, what are you, you taking every extra stair you can to get prepared for this? Yes, thing? extra stairs. You know, our saying is there's no elevator to success. You have to take the stairs. And uh, my kids are climbing. Last time my son climbed in 2019 with me, he did it twice. Um, You only need to do it once, but he went down and came up and did it again. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it's just, I did the freedom tower on my husband's, well, not, I don't remember what day it was. No, it was in June of 2019, but I did the Freedom Tower, which is the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere, the Mm -hmm. new World Trade Center. And it's uh, that's 104 floors. So 43 is not as um, arduous as it seems. But my daughter, who is eight, is going to be doing it for the first time. It's the day after her birthday. And so me and the kids, it's just a team effort preparing for it. Their team name is the Carolina Do Good Mafia. It's a great team. Yes. 100%. I mean, it's so important, Brian, that people realize the impact on North Carolina Mm -hmm. um, with Tunnel to Towers, because we have 35 um, mortgage-free homes from Tunnel to Towers in the state of North Carolina. So we helped the Goodwin family recently. We paid off their mortgage. You know, Mia Goodwin died three days before Christmas and left behind her husband, who was a Charlotte firefighter, and then three kids who were three, one, and four months old. She'd just come back from maternity leave. She had her whole life ahead of her. She was the same age as Jerry. Um, She became a police officer at the same age that Jerry joined Special Forces. Mm. Um, So she had a six-year career. And uh, we have to help these heroes. And so when Mia Goodwin died, I texted our CEO and I was like, did you see this? We have to help her. And he's like, we're already on it. Mm. And the first chance that we could, you know, he wanted to have her mortgage paid off before Christmas um, because he just wanted Mia's family and her husband to know that we're there for them and we're going to take care of them. And we did. And so, like I said, there's 35 families like that in the state of North Carolina. So the impact on our state is huge and the community it brings together is really, um, 
healing for our gold star families and families of first responders. I'm glad you mentioned that, right? You guys have listened, you guys listen to the show, you know, that's my home state, right? That's where we are physically located. Uh, so to hear about that impact that it's having here is incredible. These are amazing stories of picking up the six, right? Jerry, in those final moments, picking up someone six, you needing that support and not even asking for it. They came and found you. Uh, and then now you paying it forward for families who go through similar experiences. It's incredible. Again, guys, links to their event. It's May 1st, stair climb in the Charlotte area. Uh, go check it out. We're encouraging you to get your butts there and get up and down those stairs. And why don't we throw a donation their way as well while you guys are at it. Uh, Nancy, just been so grateful to, to hear your story. And again, like I said at the beginning, we don't take it for granted to be able to do it, but we are grateful for the chance to, to hear about your hero and to remind people that this, this is the United States of America. This is what makes this the greatest country on the globe is the service and sacrifice of thousands who have gone before us. Thank you. I just want to go back to the story you read in the beginning about Jerry, you know, the, operation on his first deployment where he saved the four guys he was with and took out those two enemy positions. I mean, that's picking up the six, you know, when he came home from that deployment, we had my son right before that deployment, I was pregnant with my daughter during that deployment. And when he came home and told me about that op and that he was going to get a valorous award for that specific experience, he had a boulder that he could hide behind when they were pinned down and he thought they were all going to die. And that I said, if there is a boulder big enough for you to hide behind, you have a baby that needs you and another baby on the way you stay down. You don't need to go and jump up and um, put a bomb on these guys or whatever. And he said, no, like, this is what we do in special forces. Like we don't hide, like we protect each other. Mm -hmm. We're on the offensive. And so instead of staying where he was, that's when he stood up and he adjusted the guided bomb to eliminate one of those enemy positions and then he got down and then he got up again and then he shot the tracer rounds to help the aerial um support get the other enemy position and it's just like I'm like how can you do that like you're you're a big guy they're gonna shoot you and he's like no like this is how we operate and this is why we all come home and at the end of the day the day after his birthday that year every other member of his team came home alive you know and the reason despite you know SF they sustain a lot of casualties because they operate so heavily mm -hmm. and they deploy back to back to back um but at the end of the day they are extremely phenomenal operators and it's because of their ethos and the way they operate. And so what he did was just an example of that. You know, they're always looking out for each other and it's just epic. Yeah. Yeah. You are a hundred percent on the money. I'm thanks for bringing that back up and leaning back into it. And I think it, again, it's just guys, it's a reminder, right? We need a, we need to gain perspective uh, as to, um, Boy, just the selflessness of those who are willing to uh, to put on the line. Nancy, we're so grateful for you and thankful for you. you joining us today. And we wish you nothing but success in May. And let's guys get to that link uh, to their event and uh, throw them some support. Nancy, thanks. Thank you so much. My pleasure. She's Nancy Gass. I'm Brian Jodis. And this has been Pick Up the Six Podcast.